Good day, nerds. This is Megan McCarthy Bianc, uh, book reviewer and author interviewer at the Nerd Cantina. Um, this one is a Cantina conversation with author Namrata Patel talking about her book, The Candid Life of Mina Deve or Dave. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed this book and I really enjoyed, um, the conversation with Namrata, um, talking about her background, her experience of, um, coming to America and, um, really exploring her her culture her history while she was writing this story so without further ado here we go we got namrata patel so we're here today with namrata patel uh her book the candid life of mina dave uh, am i pronouncing that correctly it's a it's a play on words yeah dave and dave at the okay same. yeah because yeah. you do kind of allude to that and you know play with that a little bit in the book. So, um, and it's coming out June 1st, correct? Yes. Awesome. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's, it's going to fly by. Um, okay. So thank you so much for, um, you know, taking the time to meet with us. I really did enjoy this book. I enjoyed Mina as a character. Um, I thought, I don't know your style of writing. I liked how you kind of just pulled the, like the reader was joining along with Mina and her like journey, her discovery and how she was kind of like handling her situation and figuring things out. And so um, I, I really did enjoy the read. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to chat with you today. Great. Thank you so much. I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah. So before we get started, can you give like a brief synopsis of the story to kind of, you know, so readers can or listeners can kind of follow along? Yeah, absolutely. So it's about Mina Dave or Dave. Um, and she's a photojournalist and a nomad. She doesn't really have a, a family at the start of the story. And suddenly she inherits a house. Uh, an apartment in a brownstone in Back Bay, Boston. And she kind of thinks what the connection is, but she's not sure. And because she's a journalist, she wants to, at first she doesn't want any part of it, but then she's like, I can't really turn this opportunity away. So she starts digging into why, and she starts discovering these notes that were left by the person who had left her the house and the story unravels from there. And she at the end is really like thinking through like, you know, how she's connected to the house, but really how she's just connected to these people. Mm. And as someone who is sort of given up on connections because she lost her parents early on, what that meant for her. Um, and I really wanted to ex explore this idea of belonging and, and what does that mean? And is it biological? Is it communal? Is it, is it just like something that's very internalized? Uh, so that's really the gist of the story without getting too into yeah. the <laughs> Yeah, we want to be a little spoiler free here. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So um, can you go over your background kind of, um, you know, because this is your first published book, right? Yeah. 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 So what, you know, what were you doing before this or what do you, you know, continue to do and, and kind of like what led you to uh, developing Nina's story and, and putting it out in the world? Yeah, I am not an overnight success. I've been writing for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I think the hardest part for a writer is to really figure out voice, right? And I know the stories I knew from early on the stories I wanted to tell. I wanted to tell stories about diaspora, about um, the hyphenated Indian American life and what that meant. And I'd always 
um, thought about, you know, the two sides of each person and you live, there's a, and regardless of identity or duality, like the inside you, which is the person that lives in your house and the, and the family, and then the external you, which is the person that shows up in, in uh, situations that are, you know, sort of a little bit impersonal or sort of public. Mm. And in my case, and started early on, I lived in a very Eastern household. Um, I was born in India and came over when I was eight. So, you know, not, not necessarily first generation, but likely first diaspora. Right. Mm. And when I would go to school, I'm completely in a Western culture. Mm. Right? And uh, I played field hockey and I did theater, but then I would have these things where I couldn't really get a role in theater because I was Brown and mm. went to a predominantly white school. So I would remember like we were doing Biloxi blues and I couldn't get a part in it, even though I was a senior and I had paid oh. all the dues <laughs> of being a supporting cast because there were no Brown people. <laughs> you know? And um, so I, I just really like, I was drawn to this idea of duality early on. And then I went to grad school and studied diaspora really, and how we build identities. And my market, my background is in marketing. So I was doing it from a consumer behavior lens and was starting to think about the Indian American, what that meant for me and how I sort of toggled between those two identities more overtly as it became more acceptable to mm-hmm. be Indian American, right? Because I spent of the first few years of my professional life passing. And then like you hide that stuff, right? You don't mm-hmm. necessarily bring, you know, dal to lunch. You sort of like, and then I started bringing dal to lunch or wearing <laughs> to annual holiday parties and things like that. And, but I would wear, um, you know, like rings or jewelry or something. That's just like a, a memento of who I really am ethnic wise. And part of examining that I wrote a lot of stories. I wrote a lot of, a lot about, um, you know, in the early years of a writer, you're just doing self-exploration, right? You're writing really bad poetry, <laughs> just really just all over the place. Um, I wasn't one of those writers who, who was like, I knew from when I was four years old, right? I was more like, I never saw the type of stories that I wanted to write yeah. out in the marketplace. So I never really made the connection that I could be the one, right? Because mm-hmm. I was like, no, I, I went to school, I do business, I'm in, I have a profession, like, you know, and then I was toying with these stories on the side. And then I started taking workshops and classes at like Grub Street and Gotham Writers. And I moved all around a lot. And wherever I went, I was just noodling. And then I did NaNoWriMo and I like really got deep into it. Yeah. <laughs> And then um, to make a long story sort of sort of short, and mm-hmm. you know, I eventually really started practicing the craft. And in the last, I would say, fifteen years, I was really very serious about it. It took a long time to get seen. I had a lot of like a lot of rejections, mm-hmm. a lot of come closes, a lot of you know. And then finally, uh, a few years ago, uh, through Pitch Wars, actually, I really understood the beats of the types of genre writing Mm -hmm. and not through pitch wars, but subsequently I signed with Sarah Younger and then it was just a ride. It was like, I wrote three books that went nowhere. And this story was really like going back to the beginning. This was the voice. Like this was the story I wanted to tell like third or fourth diaspora and what assimilation felt like. And, and it was the height of the pandemic. And while Mm. we were working remotely, the commute time turned into writing time. And I was oh, okay. <laughs> really like 
you know, what does this community mean if you're stuck in your house just with like two or three people and the external world all of a sudden just halts, right? And then then this becomes community in terms of like using digital to sort of talk to people. And um, I just uh, really wanted to write about the story. And then I came across that article around the 100 Gujarati that came to MIT to study. Mm. And I was like, well, I never knew this part. And then I was like, wait, I walk the same streets. Like my my favorite part of the city is like around MIT, right? And the Charles Mm. River from the Boston side. So that's where like really Mina came around. And from there, it was uh, really just work, and yeah. <laughs> uh, love and um it all aligned really <laughs> yeah i know i i love that and i love like it's so interesting how you uh you said you're like when you said you came here when you're eight years old um you know i i imagine your accent comes out when you speak like your native language because you it, know what it does it <laughs> well i can't do an indian accent but when I speak Gujarati, I speak like a white person speaking Gujarati. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or That's a non-Indian so person, I should say, speaking Gujarati. So my parents and my family tease me because like even my name is Namrata. Mm-hmm. But over mm-hmm. the years, it's just become Namrata because like that's what I heard. And then I just repeated back. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do speak Gujarati fluently. I, I understand Hindi but my accent is still very much American. That's so funny. I always say like, oh, it's because I did a lot of theater and I have the <laughs> accent speaking out of me. <laughs> but that's not the case. I think I just didn't practice enough. <laughs> oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Because I guess I could see like, I don't know. I, I know a handful of people who have come here at a similar age, like younger than mm-hmm. 10. And they had to learn English, like, you know, by either at school or watching like Sesame Street or something like that. And um, it's, it was it's interesting for me. And that's yeah. incredible or whatever. Those shows were Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how, you know, the brain works, but then also kind of like, you know, the, those people, they you can still kind of hear their accent a little bit, especially, but then especially when they speak in their native language, it's, or when they say pronounce certain words, that little accent comes out, like the pronunciation of a certain syllable or certain letter, like with the example with the T in your name. Um, But no, that's so funny that you just, you know, you assimilated so much. I I just find it fascinating. But that was like one of the things I picked up when you said like, oh, I I came here when I was eight. I was like, I, you know, at first I would have thought you were like first generation at least. Yeah, no. And I I get that quite a bit in in like an authentic, honest sense, right? Like a way of like, oh, you don't sound like you came here when you know you were bo- you weren't born here is what I normally get and I, I I think about that because when when I came um you know it's like the the 80s and 90s migration right a huge mm. Indian migration but at that time there wasn't a large community so right. it was sort of assimilated and you didn't have the the external groups and validations that you have now with like yeah. just about how many, not enough in my opinion, but how many they see writers there are right now. And you see us on TV and they're like, um, you learn that you're sort of have to fit in somewhere. And for us, it was, um, 
you know, my parents wanted us to stand out, not stand out in a way. So they were like, like do school lunch, you know? And yeah. now my mom's like, you should be vegetarian. And I'm like, yeah, but it's cool. You told me I should eat fish sticks. So like, right. we are. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's almost come full circle. Like, okay, now you're, you're okay. Like now you've assimilated, assimilated enough. Now you should stand out. Yeah. Like, you your name the right way. And I'm like, yes, yes, I should. Yeah. You know, that reminds me, I think it makes sense a lot where it's almost like a matter of survival where you just you just want to fit in and so my mom's side they're uh you know she's mexican and part have a lot of her family still lives in mexico but um my grandmother they when her like my mom and her siblings were growing up they just wanted to be as american as possible so they didn't like really speak spanish at all and um it's a shame because i'm like yeah well i'm half but i i know it like picking it up from here and there like i'm not fluent but i'm i'm it depends on the kind of situation I'm in where I'm like comfortable in some situations speaking and not going to bother in other situations. But yeah, yeah, it just like reminds me of that like unique experience of um, just trying to, you know, unfortunately it's like you want to, it kind of reminds me of like the internal versus external, like in the household, you kind of keep those little things like the cultural habits and and you know um traditions and whatever and the the food and what have you but then like once you kind of like leave the house or once you're outside and in public and um you see like that you know the community is here like they're not you know they look different than you and so you kind of have to like you know assimilate and and figure it out and i can cook like a traditional gujarati meal like all of that i can do all of those things that I did growing up. And even to today, like I, uh, Gujaratis are primarily agrar- agrarian. So I am like, I say 90% vegetarian <laughs> because mm. once in a while I really like steak. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> um, but it is, it's that whatever, how I lived in my house is how I currently live, like growing mm-hmm. up and what, how I lived outside of my house those influences are yeah. also just really, really there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at such a young age too. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to resist almost. Cause it's yeah. just, you're kind of absorbing everything. And so it's, you know, it's, it's going to stick with you. Um, so kind of going off of like, so the, I thought the history, what was it in like the forward of your story? Mm-hmm. Kind of, you kind of explain, and you touched on it here of, of, you know, the, the history of the, um, the uh, immigrants or the groups of of people from from that area of the world came over and they wanted to stay connected and like wanted to stay like you know tight with their communities of their um of people like them and so I thought that was kind of fascinating because I had no idea so like what kind of like research went into like developing this story besides you kind of just stumbling across an article that you know where you found out that this part of you know, your, your people's history that like was so, it it was almost like proactive, like the people back then they had to like work to make this happen. Yeah. I did go down the rabbit hole of the extra (laughs) readings from that article and the, and the things that I could find. Uh, I'm fortunate. I have a couple of friends who are teachers and professors who went through LexisNexis and (laughs) it's all in, in service of learning more. Right. And then, Mm. um, when I was in grad school, I did a lot of research around diaspora and assimilation and adaptation. And so some of those readings came back, you know, conversations around like uh, people who are of first diaspora versus third diaspora and what that assimilation looks like. So, you know, things like um, 
Patel brothers didn't exist in the forties. And, you know, so like uh, people brought over spices in suitcases and um, that's how they cooked with turmeric and all of the things we take for granted in whole foods. Like I think I talked (laughs) to my parents and, you know, they, they would have never imagined like, even to this day, my mom's like, we don't buy whole foods turmeric. That's not real turmeric. You know, (laughs) we go to the top brothers, like that's the right turmeric. Right. So, but like, it's like, I just thought, you know, how different that world was. So some of the recipes in the book are like a nod to that and talking to people and saying, well, um, you wouldn't necessarily find a lot of the vegetables that they grew in Gujarat at the time. Right. So what do you do with spinach? What do you do like American (laughs) spinach or, you know, um, what do you do with some of those things and how do you use the spices and like bringing some of those recipes back now that you do find Patel brothers and you do get tapioca and, but then, then your tastes change. Right. And third, so I'm going to make tandoori Turkey because I, I know Turkey yeah. and it's, and Gujaratis are vegetarian, but third diaspora, it was that survival part where you did assimilate because what were you going to eat besides white bread and white yeah. rice? Right? <laughs> and yeah. no matter how much salt you put on rice, it's just still rice. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and I love rice. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that I, I, I went down a, a few different lanes in terms of like how groups assimilate as well as how, our history and what was written about our history in that time, which was not a lot to borrow some from what was written about immigrants in that time. Um, and, and sort of also what was Boston like mm. in that time period? Because again, um, you know, I purposefully situated the house in back Bay, which is still a very white space in Boston because um, these were affluent Gujaratis that came over and um, I wanted to put people in the, in spaces now fictionally, right. Where uh, you may not think Brown people live in those white spaces, Mm -hmm. but they do because Boston is like, you got MIT, you got BU, mm-hmm. you got Harvard, you got a medical community. Right, so like, right. Yes, those one point or four million dollar condos yeah. are going to, <laughs> you know, people of color as well. <laughs> so Right, right. But you know, I I just thought it was super cool. And um yeah, it was just something that I had never like really thought about. But it was like, of course, you know, like in uh, being on the East coast where a lot of, I imagine a lot of um, immigrants were first kind of settling down a little bit um, because it was like, right. <laughs> like right into the region near arrival. So, yeah, you know, whatever is like, especially like a lot of research has been written about the eighties and nineties immigration. Uh, and, you know, it, the reason for communities that happened like in the, um, you know, in the twenties and thirties in the West coast was because that that's where, people came from or came through a mm. port and then here JFK was the biggest import right in a way mm. so mm. everybody settled around JFK and you know you have northern New Jersey New York um, particularly Queens mm-hmm. and uh, you know and then then expansion happens and and now there are Indian Americans in Wyoming right? yeah <laughs> so, right <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, because I'm like, I don't know. I, I, you know, I love to travel. Obviously, I, you know, haven't been able to do much of that recently. But I remember just like, um, 
you know, I mean, I'm in the Chicago area and it's very, pretty culturally diverse, um, you know, but it's it's crazy how like, you know, because I've, I've been in New York and most recently like the D.C. area. And it's like kind of cool to see how not only just like the cultural makeup or like the diff- like the diver- diversity, but also like it kind of brings me back to the style of the house that's in your story is that, you know, I it reminds me of like. <laughs> the architecture in in like the East Coast, certainly, you know, for DC area, for example, is so different than uh, Chicago, for example. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I just remember being kind of like, um, not like fascinated, but like just very curious about because there's things that are like, well, in Chicago, you have like these long, you could find like full on houses, but they're very like narrow, and so mm-hmm. you know, you got like narrow. It's almost like cookie cutter. And then you find, but they're like separated. Um, you're, you're still very close to your neighbor, but it's still like a separate house. Whereas like, you know, where we were all walking around like DC, I noticed a lot of them are like so connected and you, they separate oh, like lines. by color, <laughs> like, you know, one will be cute, cute, white, like beautiful white. And the next one would be like a bright blue. And then that's like how they separate the properties and, you know, mostly anyway. And so I just, I thought it was so curious, but I'm, I'm like, well, maybe that like, make sense at the time when they were like building and so it kind of like kind of reminds me of that um you know because mina finds her inheritance like she she inherits like a really historical type like that's the kind of just i like vibe i got was that it was like this beautiful building and it was like very there's a lot of history to it and and not just like within the city but like a very tight-knit history like within all the occupants where they said that you know it was like only the first born Mm-hmm. gets it type of thing and so like look how fast you know how fascinating would it have been to to like kind of see it in person but you did a really good job of like describing it so i felt like oh. you know i was like trying to picture it in my head i was like oh man like this sounds like such a like a, it, you know it just would have been like kind of cool and and i really enjoyed kind of like you know that the house is, a, is almost like a character too and the city like a lot of the times when these stories are set in, in either particular, um, you know, regions or, or even time periods. It's like that the setting can play acts as like another character too, like a background character, but it's definitely has an effect on the other characters. And I felt like it had an effect on Mina for sure, where she was just so used to, um, you know, like you said, being a nomad and just kind of traveling and she was perfectly content being like a traveling, uh, journalist and, um, slowly the house and the people in the city like kind of keep pulling her in and she eventually starts to like and entertain the idea of having roots or having like a home base that's not just somewhere to keep her stuff and um i just thought fit all those pieces together and like the big picture i thought was i I just really enjoyed mina as a character and then i it was like her she was like so relatable and she was like her decisions and her like thought processes were very believable because sometimes yeah. I feel like, you know, sometimes authors might kind of like either the pace is, is tricky. It's, it's tricky to kind of manage. And when you were saying how, like, you know, you did the workshops and, and you worked really hard at, at getting it, you know, getting it down it, I would say that your work paid off and, you know, cause I, I was curious about, you know, like what kind of, you know, education or workshops yeah. or, knowledge did you have to like build upon yourself and practice and practice and practice to to really just um you know 
get a book published really. Cause like everybody can write. I feel like anybody can write. It just depends on whether you can write well and whether you can write in a way that entertains people and um, you know, that gets people hooked and that other agencies feel like, Oh no, we can do something. We can do this kind of thing. One of the things that, I mean, and it, like that's why I talk about craft openly because it is work. Right. And what I think, so you have to write, you have to tailor your craft to the story you want to tell. And so this, this flexing that muscle is really Mm -hmm. hard. So if I was trying to write science fiction, I'd have to write differently than what I wrote. And that is equally hard and probably harder because world building is something that's just incredible. Right. And I enjoy it. And it's, but I wanted to tell this very specific story and I had to really think about the the structure of the story and the craft of it, because one of the, one of the main goals was to make it a very small story. So Mm -hmm. like the, the, the character, the house is a character, the setting is even small. I don't expand outside of that area of Boston. Don't even cross the river in the book. Right. Like I stay (laughs) in one side, one part of a very small part of Boston because she has like, she's had an expansive life in terms of like her footprint, her geographical footprint. So I wanted to place her in a very small set Mm. and say like, how do you grow in that tension? Because there's no escape. Yeah. And every time you try to escape, you're really only going four blocks on either side. Yeah. Right. And, and then towards the end, like I wanted to have her travel a little bit, um, still nearby, right? And um because I wanted to show that she could then start creating what that that external world looks like for her, but she needed to sort of be really confined in that space. Because uh, she's a runner. (laughs) (laughs) So I I wanted to do it that justice and and that type of thing. Like those are the things that I've learned in craft is like, those are intentional decisions as a writer that you make. Right. And that's how the story sort of takes shape. Mm -hmm. And my, the the current book that I'm working on the next one that'll be out next year is um, an expansive story. Mm. (laughs) So that has like a different sort of uh, feel of the book than this one, but that character sort of needs that story. Mm. So that's flexing a different muscle. Yeah. Right? How do I like, you know, I think I, I um, said it to said something to my, uh, one of my beta readers. I'm like, I feel like there's too much plot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not too much plot. It's just that your story is expansive and you have to like wrestle control of it. You know? Yeah. But that's how you challenge yourself. And you kind of like, you've, you've, you know, you've overcome one hurdle and now you got to like, kind of take it to the next level and, and, you know, do a little bit more or do something completely different. Yeah. yeah to like, just expand yourself as your talents and in your experience. But just I get better. saying this because it's sort of like, you don't know if it re- reads or resonates. Right. Yeah. Like, so I appreciate that you picked up on that and that like, yeah, there was work involved in this story, but like not as an author, like, I don't want it to be like, Oh, I see the author in this book. It's oh yeah. More, <laughs> oh, the story is entertaining and it unfolds because of, of the writing. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's like, I love, I love like what you mentioned. I love something that I didn't think about as you were talking about it was, how she had to 
in order to grow, you kind of had to like give her, you know, almost isolate her a little bit and force mm-hmm. her. Cause yeah, she was like kind of forced to give <laughs> the aunties. They just like, Oh my God, I would, that would drive me nuts if they were just barging. And they said, well, by the way, can you just like leave you? Like, we just don't lock our doors here. And I'm just like, Oh, hell no. Like I was like right there with her. Like, but I imagine in that culture, but in so many cultures, I think there's a group of aunties that are like, you know, mm-hmm. meddling in your business, giving unsolicited advice, you know, uh, poking and prodding and all that good stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, that's why I kind of liked Sam as a character too, because he was just kind of like, he was kind of like, he I don't want to say defeated. He just kind of like no. accepted it. Like he just, <laughs> you could tell he wasn't crazy about it. He, but he was just like, there's nothing I can do about this. Kind of thing. Um, like it comes with living in this place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and yeah, just, yeah, just a group of aunties in, in general. I just, I really enjoyed them, but yeah, I was right there with Mina being like, no, I am not used to this. This is not, you know, and I, I feel like just that alone would force her to, like she, she had no choice. Like she had, if she wanted to stay there, she had to, she had to kind of play by their rules a little bit. And, but you know, it's, it was hard not to like love them at the same time. It was just like, you know, like, no, this is my space. Please respect my privacy. These are boundaries. And then like, what, what's that? What's a boundary? Like, what do you mean? Like what? No, don't be silly here. I brought over some food. Like what? <laughs> or it's like, you're, or what was it like? <laughs> Yeah, it was. Yeah, I loved that little um, their personalities and their involvement was definitely like such a huge part of her growth and her being forced to like, you know, open herself up and let let loose a little bit and to be um, a little bit vulnerable almost and and to allow people to get to know her because, yeah, like she's used to just like, you know, hopping around for her job, not really having to um, to settle down that much, which, you know, imagine it's like even the characters were like oh my god this your life sounds fascinating and and blah 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 but you could kind of tell that she was a little lonely and it's you know she had to she was thrown into the situation where she she couldn't be lonely (laughs) she had you know where she and then eventually she's like as you're (laughs) yeah right and then you know, you're still kind of like pulling her along. She's still kind of being pulled along where she is. Um, she's getting, she's tolerating it. And then she, and then she gets like that warm, fuzzy feeling inside where she, she appreciates the little community and then she could see herself there. And it's, it was just very funny to, and entertaining to watch her go through that. And also, you know, the effect that these other characters had on her and on each other. I just thought it was really, it was really fun. One of the things I really wanted to do there was um, she didn't have an idea of family as an adult, right? Mm. All of her experiences with family were when she was a child. Right. And that is a very different thing to have family as an adult, right? And I, I need, I wanted her to experience the aunties in like their glory because Mm -hmm. in a collectivist culture, there is no individualism. There is no privacy. There is no, I mean, you know, from the other, the half of you from your mother's side, like (laughs) there is like a sense of like, can't count the number of times my parents are like, what is privacy? You are my child. (laughs) I will tell you. (laughs) I know, right. This is my house. Why are you closing your door? (laughs) And because of that, like, 
she can't appreciate it at first, but I, as part of her growth, like that's where she's like, Oh, this is what it means. And, and they may or may not be my family, but they like are treating me in that same vein, you know, Mm -hmm. and they, they nag her and they, they force her to learn how to make cha and, (laughs) you know, and she's like, all I want to do is be left alone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And which is what a lot of us as adults with like, you know, in big families or even little families feel like I just want to be left alone for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's why I was like, I've, I've just related to her a little bit too much. I think (laughs) also, you know, I'm a, (laughs) I'm a mom of two little boys and I, I'm definitely feeling that now. Or I'm just like, Oh God, like, you know what they're, um, you know, with for like birthday gifts or mother's day, I'm like, can I, you know, can I just get like a day to myself? Like, I don't even want anything like physical. Like, can I just go disappear for a few hours and just like not, or just don't bother me about anything. Don't ask me for anything. Like it's definitely like a part of the person, but I feel like it, yeah, it's definitely, the cultural thing. It's definitely a part of like growing up in a certain, you know, with certain family ties, with certain relationships and with certain norms, yeah. um, you know, and, and it was, it was really cool to watch her kind of be like, you know, trying to connect because she's asking herself like, well, what, you know, to connect with, with uh, that part of her, her biological makeup, because, you know, she was raised like by white parents, but then she knows that like, she's, she's Brown she knows this and she just had to come to terms with it. And she's like, you know, no, I had, I had great parents. I was loved. I had a great family. I had a great life. I was very lucky, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then now she's kind of like, as an adult, she's, you know, kind of being introduced to a whole new, that, that part of her that I guess she had to like, kind of give up on. Like she had to like, let go of ever kind of finding that out until all of a sudden, like, you know, these answers are in these little notes and then um, within these people. And then she doesn't, you know, she's kind of like, okay, where, how do I, how do I find this out? Where do I go from here? What does this mean? You know, why, why am I here type of thing? Um, And it was just really cool to like, just kind of like explore those types of events that might have on an individual. Um, All right. So what was, this is like a two-part question. I love asking this of like everybody. Um, What was your favorite, part to write and then like what was or parts and then what like were the most challenging parts well (laughs) um i think my favorite parts were like uh, there were two particular scenes and you might be able to tell because they're just fun was the halloween scene Mm. and and uh that was like her very first like these aren't regular aunties (laughs) (laughs) these are extra No, I love their Halloween costume. <laughs> it was adorable. And then the other, and that was part of assimilation, right? Like they, they grew up here. They were born here. Yeah. Like, of course they're going to do Halloween and they're going to, and they're, they are extra. So of course yeah. they're going to take it to the end degree. <laughs> and um, I think the, the uh, second was the, when they take her day drinking. Yeah. <laughs> and that was when like, you know, um, sometimes like alcohol does put, bring you out of your shell it and does, yeah. it has like, it, it like tells your truth for you in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to use that to have her sort of like get to the stage, like 
wait, I am missing something. I can't really stay distant or closed off. Yeah. And I had to like, I needed the excuse of vodka and gin and all the other (laughs) things they poured into her to get there. And I'll say the third part was like anything with dogs. (laughs) I just loved anything with Wally. Yeah. (laughs) He always made such an entrance whenever he came in. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of the challenging parts were the the tension of her like change. Um, Iceland, when she's really like forced to like deal with her feelings around the loss of her parents and grief is grief continuum I should say like it comes and goes and it doesn't it stays with you but you can still function in certain cases and she functioned for a long time right and um, in Iceland was where she had to sort of like accept that she was sad for that Mm -hmm. loss Mm -hmm. and then I think the towards the end where I don't want to go like get give away but like some of those emotional notes that she had to like go through and um, get to the other side and feel like, no, this is still my place. Right. And I like, I found that belonging. That was very, very hard to write because, and in the drafts, like, let me tell you, I, I was scared. So I went all different kinds of routes. (laughs) I was like, and then I was like, but you know, and it's also um, this idea of like, she had to go through, that in order to figure out how she truly belonged. Mm-hmm. And um, that was like a really rough, challenging period. So I think you could probably tell like the fun scenes were fun. And the hard <laughs> scenes were hard. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I really did like those, um, the fun parts too, but also, yeah, I, I remember like towards the end, it was just like, you kind of feel for her, but then you're also like rooting for her at the same time. You're like, yeah, that's right, girl. Like you go, you put your foot down, you, you know, cause I, I don't know if I would have, um, you know, I, you know, the aunties could be intimidating too. And this whole like idea is so unfamiliar to her. And so she's treading unfamiliar territory and, you know, she's, she's not crazy about the situation she's in, but then eventually she's just like, no, like I, you know, that this is this is what's gonna happen kind of thing yeah yeah and I I, I love and I, that I wanted her to, thank you <laughs> I wanted her to remember that she was a badass photojournalist yeah. and she was not a pushover <laughs> and even though she was out of her element I needed her to channel some of her lived experience into yeah. that moment to be like my terms right yeah. not anybody else's terms and um so i'm glad that resonated <laughs> it did and i loved the dialogue too where it was just so plain like you know it's hard to be spoiler free but it's like she you know she turned it around she used it to where she was like no that this happened so now this is gonna happen and i was just like oh like that is so po- it's so simple but so powerful and i loved it um so yeah um so this the age group is kind of like a more so towards adults right mm-hmm. do you know like have you ever thought about writing it for like a different age group like a ya or were you always envisioning envisioning this like for a particular um age group this felt to me like for a particular age group because i think um if mina was younger um her emotional arc 
and her growth would have been very different. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and I think about like if, if she was 17 and she was just losing her parents and she found this out, that is a completely different story. Yes, right. Absolutely. And uh, that, that would have like, that was not what I'd set out to do. Like I really wanted that time for her mm-hmm. to like develop as an adult by herself mm-hmm. because again, this was in the pandemic and I was trying to like understand collectivism, individualism, community and isolation. Right. And yeah. I needed, I wanted her to be isolated so that she can appreciate what she finds. And I think we were all in that place where oh, we were yeah. so isolated that, um, and I don't know, I mean, like dynamics of friendships change dynamics of relationships change, right. Yeah, because you had to be so internally focused. And so I, I really wanted to stay in the adult lane for the story. Mm-hmm. That is yeah, not that to say sense. that there are not other YA stories out there. It's right. just a different muscle. to <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense. Cause it's just, it would have been completely different had she discovered this shortly after um, like such that you dramatic, like huge life event. Um, so why did you yeah. decide to tell the story in third person versus first person? Was there much thought to that? I wanted to really put the reader in her head, but also have a little distance mm-hmm. because she had distance and like mm. she, she was like at the beginning of the story and even just by nature, she, she is not like a, come here, let me give you a hug on first or second. Yeah. Or third, right? Like she is yeah. a, 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 just by nature, she's like a distant person. And, but I need, I wanted the reader to be in her head. So it was a yeah. close third versus yeah. first. And I think like, for me, I, I having her interpret her world for the reader was better than having her experience her world for the reader. You know what I mean? It, it's just a different t- style of storytelling. And I could be a little bit more, I don't know, I could take like license to, to tell the story of the, the MIT history and mm-hmm. tell the story of Boston and be a little bit like of a narrator inserting myself, even though it's mm-hmm. still through her lens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I was curious about that. Cause obviously it's like, you know, she's the main character and it's very much like, it's not like you're switching between points no, of view yeah. yeah and so some because some authors like to do first person because otherwise they feel so far away and like but that i love that that's very smart where you said no because she's like kind of she keeps herself at arm's length so keeping with that that level that vibe that making the reader Even be like, like you know but you're you're kind of being the reader's kind of being tugged along with her like figuring it out finding out the clues as she's finding it out but also like yeah you're still kind the reader's still kind of like experiencing it it's experiencing it with her but also from the outside looking in and that's and that was like the start of the story she's even more distant and therefore there's less internal reflection mm-hmm. and internal um mono like there's less for the reader to read in her head because mm-hmm. she's really just transcribing and then as the story as she grows you see more into her head and then eventually you see it into her heart right and yeah. it was it's just like the there's less a uh, distance towards the end of the story, even though the POV doesn't change, but right. you, you get more of her mm-hmm. versus more of just, she was an observer, right? As a photojournalist, she observed. And in the beginning, she's really just observing what's happening to her mm-hmm. until she likes 
starts processing. What's yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until she starts like do that with of... first person at the start. Cause you can't really lie to yourself, right? Yeah. You can withhold <laughs> how much you tell yourself. Yeah. You really like your feels are your feels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, she, yeah, I guess the story goes on. She kind of like puts her, puts both hands on the wheel rather than just kind of one hand casually like eh, i'm not sure i'm just gonna keep doing what i'm doing i'm gonna handle this and move along and now she's towards the end she's kind of like well you know actually wait you know wait a second um i like dogs like that's how she because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> at the beginning she's like oh this dog yeah <laughs> i like dogs <laughs> yeah right yeah it's like that's definitely that's it's almost like that's that's the telltale like that is the point where like it's confirmed <laughs> she she has stepped over she's she's joined the dark side she she has stepped over the line she has that's you know she's she's there she's in it she's committed and she's like okay this is i guess it's who i am now <laughs> and i'm a person who likes dogs that's so funny because i'm in my head i'm such a dog person so i'm like yeah yeah like <laughs> i was like gotcha <laughs> <laughs> I'm a dog person too. Um, it's funny because when my dad read it, you know, he's like, oh, it's a good story, but like there's a lot of dog stuff in this story. <laughs> I'm like, that's because you're not a dog person, right? dad. <laughs> you just don't get it, dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so funny. Um, okay, so just a couple more questions here. What advice would you give to Mina at the age of 16? And then what advice would you give to her at the present age? Ooh, that's a good one. At 16, I would tell her to think about change and that change will be the constant and that your life is like your life at 16 isn't what your life will always be like. Because when I was a, you know, when you're a teenager, oh my God, the feels when you're 16, like, and the sense of drama yeah. and how like heightened everything is. Right. And because yeah. it's right before the significant change that she's about to experience, I would want to like somehow get prep her for that. And like, you'll be able to handle it, sort of give her some hints about like change is coming. You are yeah. adaptable. You can change. Yeah. Um, and then at what was the other age? Like a, like a, just like how she is like at when the reader meets her like thirties, right? Like, like what kind of advice? Yeah. Like what kind of advice would you give to her at 34? (laughs) I tell her to stop being so robotic and just (laughs) like, it's okay to feel your feels. And that in that sense, like it's similar where vulnerability and, um, this uh, sense of letting people in, even if it's going to be painful, like it's worth it. And even, even in pain and loss and heartache, like you can survive. Um, Mm -hmm. And really like that was the pandemic story is like all of our lives changed so drastically and, you know, and some did not make it out for, you know, a lot did not make it out for a lot of reasons, but for those of us privileged to have done so, like we adapted in yeah. a way. And yeah. I would give her the advice of like, don't be so like rigid and, and, and like open up. Really. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> hard for like people who are like, you know, the, the world I think is like really rewards people who are 
like lean into their emotions and people who don't like, it's really hard because you're supposed to in a way and you constantly, and I am that person, right? I am a distant sort of person and my friends make fun of me because it's like, how many years before I can hug you? And I'm like, not yet. Like, have I, have I ever earned time, that yet? <laughs> it's like, but at the same time, there's value. And, you know, and I've spent a lot of time listening to Brene Brown and like understanding this idea of like, we still feel we're just not yeah. overt about it. But at the same time, like we can be and there's there's like um, nothing bad is going to happen yeah. in a sense. You know? Right. You just yeah. hug them back. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you say that, how like as you know, the world rewards people who kind of like are open to feeling their emotions because I. You know, as I get older, like, you know, I'm not, I like to think of my, everybody as a work in progress and, and I'm, you know, much more comfortable with the person I am now than I was, you know, 15, 10 years ago. And, and I like how you say that where it's, it's such a simple way to put it, but it's so true where, you know, I've, I just, one thing I've noticed the older I get like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, people, people, you know, will get turned off if you want to turn them off. And even if you don't feel like you don't, you're not going out to turn them off. It's still people respond to that. And on the other hand, on the other side of that, people respond to the opposite. If you, you know, are more open and more, maybe a little more vulnerable. It's like you, it's like, if you kind of open yourself, you, there's that chance to let other people in too. And then people respond to that in kind. And so, um, you know, when I was a teenager, it's like, I know, like how you said, like, I feel the feels, everything's so dramatic. Every little thing is so much more uh, devastating than in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like, as you get older and then you're kind of like, you, yeah, it's just so funny to see the memes, like the older you get, the less shits you give. And it's like, yeah. it's, it's kind of true. It's, it's so like, true. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, and it's almost like liberating. It's like, well, yeah, it's like, yeah. Okay. If I'm, I'm being emotionally emotional right here, if something happened where it was my fault, then please forgive me kind of thing. Like you grow secure enough where you're like, you know what? Like, yeah, my bad. It's not the end of the world yeah. though. Right. It's like, yeah, it, it allows other people to share that you know, to feel that much more comfortable and to share their, their own sides of things and, and react, you know, and feed off of that and stuff. So, um, no, I, that's, that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. Um, and the the pandemic, it just like forced all of us to confront ourselves, you know, and, and it was hard. It was, it for sure was hard. And now I'm like, you know, even, even when it first started happening, I was like, no, this, even if it'll be two years of things being weird and businesses unusual and whatever. But even then after two years, I was like, Oh God, like (laughs) I'm like feeling that COVID fatigue. I'm like, like, Oh, are we back to normal yet? Are we okay? Like, are we doing good? Like how's, you know, and then I think the world is just still on fire a little bit, but um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot, but it, I think of the world, we all collectively had to deal with the same thing in, but we all did it in different ways because everybody has access to different things and it just kind of, you know, dealing with it and adjusting and adapting. And, and a lot of people, um, Hey, they, I never had to do that before, understandably. And it was, you know, so I, was this book like kind of like a little therapeutic for you then when you kind of going through that, through the pandemic and then exploring her and the story and all that. Yeah, I think, I mean, 
there are definitely like parts of it that were therapeutic, you know, and particularly in like the examining of, of like what community means was mm-hmm. really therapeutic because yeah. it just, our definitions just changed overnight. And I think like, in a way, all of my writing is therapeutic because as someone who doesn't feel their feels outside, <laughs> I feel my feels in the book. Right. And yeah. so, um, you know, even those emotional scenes, they were like cathartic and they yeah. were hard to write because they were emotional for me. To write. And um, so, uh, yes, uh, I think it was therapeutic. Is it like a was it like, oh my God, I feel so much better about the <laughs> past two years? No. <laughs> I think that's a lifelong therapy session that we're yeah. all going to have to do. Yeah, absolutely. Or like a few uh, more books, you know. <laughs> and part of it was distraction, right? Like I, I wanted the story to be a, on the lighter side, even though it explores like some deep things because yeah. we just wanted to be entertained and like, could only watch so much Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah, <laughs> I love that name drop because that was one show that my husband and I went through for through the pandemic. We're we're all caught up. <laughs> like, oh my god, I must have watched it three times. Oh my god, and then I moved on to Psych, which I'd never seen oh, before. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay, I can laugh. Yeah, right, right. No, and then yeah, in Brooklyn, it's one of those shows where it's so easy to binge. It's just you, you once you watch it once, you put out background noise. I think back way back when, like Parks and Rec did that for me recently. Uh, Shit's Creek did that for me, and it was just like it. Yeah, I love that you dropped Brooklyn Nine Nine. So it's like, nope, yep, that was a show we caught up on that we we were that was on our to watch list, and we did it. And it was that was one thing where a lot of people were like, oh, now I get the binging. Now I get the binging of the TV shows, and it's like before well, then, who had the time? Like. <laughs> yeah yeah it's so funny but it's so true and it's like now we just got rid of our cable we only have streaming services now and we're like we just only want internet right we're like we're not maximizing the value that we're getting out of this so we're just gonna focus on what we actually care about in you know both (laughs) you know which also could be a metaphor for life too but it's like yeah like Trim, trimming the extras if you say if you will um but yeah so the last question i have so this one is a standalone or do you have any plans of uh revisiting any more of uh, mina's story is her story done i think it's done yeah so um the next book is completely different okay it's i was gonna ask you like set. what would like let it tell us about your like other projects that you're working on yeah, so the second book comes out um, in June of 2023, which feels far, but then again, yeah. what is time? Right. <laughs> um, that book really examines, like, you know, some of the themes are the same, right? Like, what is family? But in this case, it's not found family, it's existing family and mm. what alienation meant and how much was driven by self versus by, like, she's got a little different level of maturity than Mina does. Mm -hmm. And um, so, and it's set in Napa and it's about a, she's a perfumer who loses her sense of smell. Oh no. (laughs) um, Because of the two years. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. And I wanted to like explore that change. um, And what happens if you're like, all of a sudden the career that you have, you can't really do anymore. Yeah. And it, it's, I like to have a little bit of that, 
Indian American history. So it, it goes into the, uh, you know, um, I think like something like 43% of motels and hotels owned in the U S are by Gujaratis and oh, really? in <laughs> so, um, that's I funny. I'll have to pay attention <laughs> like the next time I go stay somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But the first, in, uh, Indian American hotel owner was, um, Gujarati American in San Francisco. And okay. this book is set in Napa and it sort of, again, plays on that theme of like generational, uh, uh, you know, family, in the family business in this case, not necessarily a house. So it's a little bit expansive because it's starts in Paris, goes to okay. Napa. Like there's yeah. a broadness to Napa versus just the engineer's house in this right. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you want to take it to the next level and challenge yourself for sure. Um, it's a challenge. Trust yeah. me, I'm in the middle of it right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I'm excited for it. Yeah. In a different way, I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, it's a good being challenged is good. And and you know, you're gonna once you finish this, then you're gonna you're probably gonna look for the next big, you know, the next obstacle or the next challenge that you wanna approach. And um, you know, it's only you know, you just gotta I wouldn't say baby steps, but also at the same time, it's like, you know, just like you're leveling up a little bit. You're mastering yeah. one thing and then you move on to the next. And I think it's, you know, it's if for someone that's like your debut novel, you just you gotta you gotta keep the ball rolling. You gotta keep with that momentum and keep it going, especially if you have ideas in your head that are are ready to just, you know, put the pen on paper and make it happen. Oh, I have <laughs> lots of ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have lots of diaspora history. <laughs> the community. So uh, I love it. I love it. Um, okay. So Namrata Patel, thank you so much. This was such an enjoyable conversation. I, I found, you know, the whole history fascinating and, and, you know, learning more about um, your culture and how that influenced uh, your story. Um, we've got the candid life of Amina Dave or Dave or Davi. What's Dave or Dave? Dave, Dave. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just like Dave, but da. <laughs> okay. Um, but if people want to play around with it, they could say Mina Dave too. So <laughs> um, it comes out June 1st and, um, you know, thank you so much. And I'll, I'll keep an eye out for, uh, you know, the ti- the upcoming titles that you've got, you know, within the next year and then anything after that. I appreciate that. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for right. letting me gush about Mina. <laughs> oh, of course. Thank you for letting me ramble on as well. So. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. So there you have it. Cantina conversation with Namrata Patel. Um, you can find the links to buy her book and the all the social media that she does um, also in the show notes. Um, you know, as always, subscribe, follow all that good stuff, recommend these to your friends. And, um, you know, you could always look at my book reviews on the nerdcantina.com. Thanks so much.